And welcome back to another episode of the Sheep Dogs Podcast. This is one of your co-hosts, Johnny Drew, speaking. Today, you're definitely going to want to tune in because Sister Alicia is our guest. And Sister Alicia is from Our Lady of the Angels in Chicago. She is a Franciscan of the Eucharist, and she shares with us today their twofold mission, to assist the materially poor people in Humboldt Park in their primary needs and also in their spiritual needs. She shares a powerful testimony of witnessing a drive-by shooting while praying in front of the Blessed Sacrament. Not only does she have an infectious laugh, but you can tell she is a true disciple of Christ. Sister Alicia shares about the Eucharistic revival. She talks about how our relationship with Christ must move us to works of charity and must be fostered in the Eucharist. She calls out men directly to get their acts together, to convert their hearts and reclaim their leadership in the church. She also happens to have three German shepherds and one the world-famous show Chopped while um, cutting her finger in half. So um, yeah, this is one you are not going to want to miss. Make sure to tune in on uh, Spotify or Apple Podcasts, give us a rating, and share this episode with anyone you think could benefit. And so without further ado, let's get right into it. So good morning. Is it 8 a.m. in Chicago right now? Yeah, just 8 o'clock here. Wow. Very early. Sorry to wake you up that early. <laughs> oh, no. I've been up for quite a while. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was guessing she was going to watch Yeah, great. Part of our life. <laughs> okay, so could you start off the interview by just giving us like a quick introduction to yourself? Actually, let's just start with a prayer. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I am. <laughs> In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for Sister Alicia and all the sisters there in Chicago, we thank you uh, just for, yeah, your most holy Eucharist, Lord, that you come to us in the most blessed sacrament. And we just commend to you our day, and we ask all this in Jesus' holy name through Mother Mary as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you. your question go ahead yeah no so now just to get the interview started i was wondering if you could give a, a quick rundown to to our fans about you know who you are um and what you do sure thank you so much well i'm sister alicia um and i am a member of a religious community that's called the franciscans of the eucharist of chicago and we serve on the west side of chicago chicago is a very big city and so the community that we serve um, are people who don't have the resources that they need to get through the day. Um, a lot of families and senior citizens and also single people that we serve here out on the West Side, a lot of African-Americans and also people from various Spanish-speaking countries. We've had a lot of Ecuadorian immigrants in even the last year. And so not only do many of our neighbors not speak English, but now we actually are serving people who speak indigenous languages that we can't even quite understand. So it's an incredible variety of people that the Lord brings here. Um, but as religious, we're not only interested, of course, in 
taking care of people's material needs, but also their souls, right? We want everyone to get to heaven. And that's the mission of Christ and the mission of the church is the salvation of souls. And so for us, of course, like if you're hungry, you need food. If you don't have clothing, you need clothing. If you're cold, you need heat. Um, and those are very primary needs. And often for a person, if those primary needs aren't met, it's very hard for them to relate to our Lord and to one another. And so to care for the physical needs is essential, but then we don't want to stop there. We want to also provide opportunities where they can encounter our Lord and grow in their relationship with him too. Um, so that's, that's where our community is. And that's kind of basically what we do. That's great. One thing I wanted to ask about, Sister, is I know, so we're always encouraging our students here to uh, go on mission for the summer and that kind of thing. And I know, of course, my classmate, Father Jared, who uh, spent a, a summer there with you all. And um, just, yeah, there's possibility, opportunities, or if you could tell us, yeah, what the Notre Dame students or whoever you have come in the summertime, what they do. And uh, yeah, could you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. Yeah, so our superior uh, is Bishop Bob Lombardo. He wasn't always a bishop. You know, you get that phone call on behalf of the Holy Father and your life changes. Um, but he is a Franciscan friar of the renewal originally. Um, so having served in the greater New York area and also in the missions in South America and even in London, he served. Um, so he came to Chicago in 2005. But even before he came here to serve in Chicago on the invitation of our, our late Cardinal George to start an outreach to the poor. Um, he had had partnership for probably at least 15 years with Notre Dame University and students from Notre Dame would come to New York to serve alongside the friars and sisters, but also to have opportunities to grow in their Catholic faith. So Notre Dame has an official program called the Summer Service Learning Project, I believe. And so the students that come here come for eight to 10 weeks and they participate in the neighborhood. They also do some reading and theological reflection and write some papers or there's a final project that they do yeah. rather. And so it, it's a theology credit for them. Um, but we also have students from other universities that come not as part of an official program. Um, to help out. We also host um, seminarians. We've hosted many from the Archdiocese of Cincinnati, mm -hmm. um, and we also now host some even from Chicago. So we started to receive Chicago men nice. over the summer. Um, so it's wonderful to have the students and the seminarians here. This past summer, they we had, I believe, gosh, at least eight of them were living here and then we had a couple young adults that literally came every day um and among them they basically helped they were the backbone of constructing the brand new retreat center uh, with 57 rooms we had a wow. master carpenter up there and a master electrician and these students hung drywall and hauled plywood also <laughs> wow you know and so it's it's just very cool um all of the beautiful things the students have done not just the manual labor but also helping with summer camps bible camps um, doing evangelization and just basic human formation with the children in our neighborhood. And of course, like daily opportunity for Holy Hour and Mass and just growing, growing in their faith too, which is, you know, the heart and the foundation of it all. So good. So good. Yeah, we're really big on that here. Daily Holy Hour, Mass, confessions like every day. So yeah, awesome. they'll be, they'll be ready to, to slide right in. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, so I was wondering, like, you live in a in an area that deals with a lot of poverty and crime and high levels of, like drug and alcohol abuse. 
Um, and, you know, being so close to Chicago, I hear a lot of the news and it, I think I, I'm very like discouraged by it in a way. So, and you're kind of on like the front line. So how do you, I guess, maintain like peace and joy while being a witness to like all the things that, you know, happen um, in the area that you live? That's a great question. Um, you know, I had a, a really strange experience a couple of months ago. I've been here in Chicago for 12 years now, <clears throat> rather in this community for 12 years. I've been in the city for almost 20. Um, I was making my holy hour. So I like to make a, a holy hour first thing in the morning before our communal prayer. So usually from 5.30 to 6.30. And so I was in our new Adoration Chapel in the outreach building, the former school where you're from Elmhurst, so you probably remember the Our Lady of the Angels School Fire. We just had the anniversary yesterday. We lost 92 children and three Sisters of Charity of the Blessed Virgin Mary in that fire on December 1st, 1958. So this is a very historic place as well. Um, and that's one of the reasons why Cardinal George really wanted Bishop Bob to come here, um, in part to preserve that memory. So I often feel that those children are very present and praying for us here. So I was in that building, uh, in the New Adoration Chapel, and there's very large windows, like kind of those school building type windows. Um, and so you could actually see the intersection of Hamlin and Iowa. And like I said, I've been here 12 years, but I've actually never seen uh, a gun, gun fired I've, always, I've heard many, many guns fired, but never seen one. And so I was kneeling or sitting in the chapel before our Lord, and um, I heard the screeching out the window around, you know, six in the morning. I looked out the window, and this red car had backed into the intersection, and a guy put his hand out the window and just shot this gun, you know, multiple times. And I'd never seen a gun fired. I'd never seen it with my eyes, the drive-by shooting. So it was very... Um, very scary in that moment, but then also very profound that I was literally with Jesus looking upon him. And so it very much contextualizes the response to your question, Michael, that it really is because of Christ that we're here. We've been invited and called here, right? So God calls and we have a freedom to respond. So we can say yes, or we can say no to our Lord. And we see that in scripture. Many people say yes, but the rich young man walked away sad because he had many possessions. Um, but if it is true that Christ calls us to a particular place, then we also can have confidence he's going to protect us and also protect our hearts and our souls so that we don't get discouraged and lose hope. Um, so that relationship with him is critical because otherwise we're just social workers depending on our own strength and talent. Um, but if we're disciples of Christ, if we're consecrated religious, then that, that changes the game. Um, but we do have to take care of ourselves. You have to take a break, go for a walk outside the neighborhood. Can't really walk around here, go for retreats, you know, spend time with our own families, with families and friends in the area. We're really blessed to have a network of wonderful priest friends and lay people who are very kind to us, um, and support the work here. Um, but it's true, you know, there is a great darkness, but here we are in Advent. Um, and this is the season when the light comes into the darkness, right? Like Isaiah, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And I think if we keep our eyes fixed on Christ, especially in the Eucharist, and allow him to be our light, then he is the one that can sustain us through those dark times. Because all of you on your campus, you know, even in your own hearts, like you all are experiencing your own kind of darkness, right? College students today um, are struggling more than ever 
with depression, with difficult family situations, the anxiety of this pandemic has hit people tremendously. Um, so it's not just the darkness of societal problems, but just the darkness in our hearts we don't understand. And Jesus really wants to break through and really wants to touch that because he wants a greater freedom for all of us, like came to set prisoners free, right? And we all are in a prison in a sense in our heart, and he wants that to be opened up. Uh, so that it can be that place where he comes and has a meal with us, where it's a place of peace, not a place of darkness. Um, yeah. Amen, definitely. Thank so you. good, yeah, thanks for sharing that. Yeah, it, it definitely, we see a little bit of everything here on campus, and yeah, we're always just trying to bring that light, and uh, it's definitely through Christ, as you say. So it's, uh, yeah, wow, thanks for your witness. That's awesome. Totally. Yeah. It's all him. Yeah, <laughs> amen, so amen, yeah. It's good. So uh, today we really wanted to talk about um, the Eucharistic revival and, and um, kind of like your thoughts about it. And I did a little bit of reading about it, but um, just for the people that are listening, could you give like a quick description about what the Eucharistic revival is? Sure. Yeah. So it's really exciting. Uh, this National Eucharistic Revival, the USCCB, so that's the group of bishops that govern the dioceses around the country in, in the United States, the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, you know, they've been very concerned about how so many people are falling away from the Catholic Church. And we know that many young people are in that number and many people identify themselves as non-religious now, not even affiliating with any faith tradition. And so over time, over these last several years, under the leadership of Bishop Barron and now Bishop Cousins, who was recently appointed to Kirkston in Minnesota, they've discerned to have and, and animate this National Eucharistic Revival. So the bishops just voted a couple of weeks ago. This is very exciting, especially for those of us in the Midwest, to host a, a Eucharistic Congress in 2024, and it's going to be in Indianapolis, which is so close to all of us. So I really hope to see a lot of Miami students at that <laughs> right. Eucharistic Congress. <laughs> Um, awesome. It is so exciting. There hasn't been a Eucharistic Congress in the United States since the 70s. Um, and the hope is very big, like the dream is very big to have 80 to 100,000 people gather in Indianapolis. Um, so that's kind of the what everything is moving toward, but not to stop at the Congress, but rather that that sends the people who come out again into the dioceses and into the margins, you know, where people are far from our Lord. Um, so the revival will start this coming Corpus Christi 2022. The bishops hope that there's at least one Eucharistic procession in every diocese um, on the diocesan level. And then that first year to help um, to help inspire the leadership of the local church, whether they be lay people, the clergy, um, young adults and youth that come to rallies and conferences to rediscover and deepen the relationship with our Lord in the Eucharist. And then again, remember what we teach in our church. Like we truly believe the Eucharist is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. We encounter him at the mass. We remain with him in Eucharistic adoration, but it's not just for us, right? Like we're saved together. We're not saved at all. So then because of that relationship with Christ, we're moved out of ourselves to go serve our brothers and sisters in need wherever that might be and however that might look. So there's also a strong desire um, to not just stop with a personal relationship with Christ, but that that moves us to the works of charity, to the Beatitudes um, that Jesus has mandated, you know, that we participate in. I mean, Matthew 25 is not, it's not just for me because I'm a Franciscan, it's for the whole church. Um, and how do we 
how do we rediscover and deepen the awareness of what it means to be a disciple of Christ? And, and that all comes from that relationship with him, which is, is fostered in a most profound way in this life through the Eucharist. Um, yes, it's very hopeful. I'd encourage everyone to check out, um, the bishops, maybe you guys can put this on your, your notes of your podcast, but they have a page on their website right now um, where they have the document that the bishops just voted on. I believe it's called the mystery of, here I have it on my desktop, uh, the mystery of the Eucharist and the life of the church. And then Bishop Cousins has already put together a course on that new document, which you can look at for, and participate in for free on Revive Catholic. So you can get all those links on your podcast notes, but it'd be super if like now leading up to the beginning of the revival, college campuses and young adult groups start to look at these things and talk about them and discern how is God asking you to participate in the Eucharistic revival? Because the bishops are going to provide lots of resources and ideas, but it also has to be an organic thing from the ground. And that's very exciting. And that's where, you know, the Holy Spirit is moving because the whole church is is getting involved and there's just so much excitement and enthusiasm. So I'm incredibly hopeful for this um, in a very deep way. Yeah, that's awesome. We uh, In Cincinnati, we recently revived uh, Eucharistic procession in downtown Cincinnati. Years ago, there were actually, like, I think at the peak, there were like 50,000 people, believe it or not. It's crazy. They would end in like the Reds Stadium, the Cincinnati Reds Stadium for benediction. But then it kind of uh, fell off in the 60s. But we, uh, this is what, the seventh year? Do you guys remember? I think so. Anyways, we took some students. Cincinnati's about an hour from us. But we took uh, a group of guys down there. It's a, specifically a men's Eucharistic procession because it was the Holy Name Society. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, that's been a huge blessing. And so we've been trying to encourage it also in uh, other cities. So I'm really happy to hear about the processions because they're just so powerful. It's like people encountering Jesus, uh, you know, when he's coming into Jerusalem. You know, there's those who are happy, those who have no idea what's going on, and then those who are uh, maybe not on board so much. <laughs> but but uh, it's, it is so powerful and such a blessing for our city. And then also uh, we we're hoping to have a procession here on campus. Uh, I got COVID, so we had to like push it off. It'll be next semester now. But uh, yeah, it is so powerful just to bring our Lord, bring people before our Lord. And uh, yeah, another thing too, I guess we do night fevers, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Do you do that on campus? So, yeah, we do it. Well, we're right off campus. So okay. we're, we're right next to the bars really, which is perfect. <laughs> so we do it nice. Friday nights. Let's invite people in. Yeah, you want to tell her more about it? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Me. So uh, <laughs> night fevers, we do them like once a month on Friday nights, like 8 to 10. And we take everyone on the ministry team and ask them to go out and really live this idea of evangelization, which you touched on kind of like not just have the Eucharist, but then actually have that draw us into acts of charity. And it's really it's really challenging, I'd say. You know, you, you face a lot of a lot of people that will just, you know, say, no, get out of here, I'm not going to pray. Or, uh, yeah, even worse sometimes. But some people then, you, it's like you get them and they're like, yeah, I'll come say a prayer in the church with you, of course. And then you invite them in and sometimes uh, you invite them in the community. And we have a couple people from those that have really, like, latched on to our community, specifically from those nights. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's really been a powerful, like, experience here. Yeah. That is so cool. That's awesome to hear. Thank you so much for doing that. That is huge. Praise the Lord. That's yeah, it's been huge. so fun too. I thought like, well, we might do one a semester and then the students kept saying like, I'll do one more. So we've done three now. <laughs> so, but yeah, God is so good. So it's been, uh, it's been fun. Yeah. 
Oh yeah, I think um, because I think I feel like I first kind of like heard this concept of um, like Eucharistic revival. Um, I think it was from Bishop Barron, and he was mm -hmm. um reacting to the statistic of the study that came out. It must have been a few years ago, where I think the number was like seventy percent, um, which is a very scary number of people who um are Catholic, um but yet don't believe in the true presence. And I, I think about that and I, it, again, I get discouraged easily. So like I, you get really discouraged, but what would you say would be like things that we can focus on here on campus to not be discouraged by that number, but yet be like inspired by it. So we can um, continue to uh, go out and try to um, be a, a big part of this Eucharistic revival. All right. That's a great question, Michael. And I think like for any Catholic and, you know, I kind of like hesitate before I say this, because I know sometimes people don't like this imagery, um, but St. Ignatius of Loyola uses it himself. And I think in time past, when we talked about the sacrament of confirmation, we would assist that with being a soldier for Christ. And I know that there's a lot of varying feelings around imagery of war, um, but it's all throughout scripture, so we can't avoid it. Um, and you know, our Lord said himself, I've come to, to uh, cast fire upon the earth and how I wish it were already burning, right? And what does fire do? Like fire consumes and then it kind of like, in a sense, allows for a recreation, right? And so I think for us that we, especially you guys, you're men, like men need a call to action. Right. You guys are made for this. You right. know what I mean? I think in our church today, too many men are taking a back seat. And I think it's time for men to get their acts together, look at their hearts, figure out what they need to allow the Lord to touch and then get themselves out there because we need you to be the leaders that God has made you to be. Um, that's biblical. It doesn't mean that men are better than women or women are not equal to men, but there's a particular role that men have in the church. And I think that they need to reclaim that role of leadership. And so I really encourage you in that. Um, of course, the priest in a very special way has a very important role um, and a critical role in the leadership of the flock in guiding and shepherding all of you in discerning what is it that the Holy Spirit is inspiring and asking of you on your campus, you know, and you can't do any better than authentically living it, you know, so how is the Lord asking the students, yourselves and your peers to take a step back and examine your hearts and see where in my heart am I not faithful to Christ? Where am I afraid? What's, what am I holding on to that I think if I don't let it go, something bad's going to happen, right? Like what is the conversion experience the Lord is inviting you to, to better position you to be that disciple, to be that soldier? And I think right now is a season of preparation for the Eucharistic revival. You know, I'm, I'm trying to be really aware of my own heart what am I holding on to? What does Jesus want me to let go of so that I can be more free? Um, there's a really beautiful image in the writings of St. Clair of Assisi. So she wrote these four letters to Agnes of Prague, who is this princess, this noble woman who turned down multiple offers of marriage to be espoused to Christ. And Claire notes that Agnes has made this great exchange, that she gave up all these worldly things. And she was holy, before she was a sister, she didn't become a sister until she was 28 or 29, which was old in the Middle Ages. But Claire said, you know, you have basically laid everything down um, and you 
you even laid down your garments. And she didn't mean that like Agnes is walking around naked, but rather all the things of the world that could hold her down. You've laid it all down so that you're light so that the enemy has nothing to hold on to, to drag you down. Mm -hmm. And so the more that we're carrying, the more that's weighing us down spiritually, the less nimble we're going to be for the battle, for the mission, for listening to people where they're at. Unfortunately, a lot of times when we evangelize, we don't listen very well. And we start to tell people what we think they should believe instead of staying with them and listening to their story. You know, it's really hard to listen to someone maybe who's had an abortion and why did that happen? Why was that part of their story? Really hard to listen to a peer that has same-sex attraction and understand what's really going on there. But, but that's ground zero today. It's ground zero. And, and that's where Christ wants us to be. But we have to be ready and we can't just go there because we want to go there. We have to go there as he calls us there. And so what's he want to do now to help me be ready to be more nimble and listen to where the Holy Spirit's inviting me to be present to Christ in the people around me? And I think that's really important. It's for all of us. It's for the clergy. It's for the religious. It's for married people. It's for all the people that work in the Catholic Church and all the people in the pews. The, the need for conversion and deepening in our intimacy with Christ I think is more important than anything right now. Awesome. Wow. So profound. Yeah, that's so good, sister. I really appreciate that. It is so good because sometimes I think we get in conversations with people. Um, we kind of just often try and think like, oh, do I have the right answer to answer, you know, whatever the argument may be. But firstly, we just got to be present, right? To mm -hmm. show the love, to be the friend, you know, to be Christ okay. to them. And uh, that's something I think we easily forget sometimes. Uh, in, in encountering people that we just got to be uncomfortable with them first, right? And just be present and uh, to love on them. And that's the same with the Lord for us, you know, like just being present to us uh, at all times, you know, despite whatever we have going on. Um, so I love that. I think that's so important too. I love too how you brought up St. Clair because I think it's just so perfect that you're Franciscan and you're working with the poor, but also this focus on the Eucharist. Because I think often when people think of St. Francis, they think only of like, okay, he was poverty, you know, lived with the poor, he loved animals. But like mm -hmm. his profound love for the Eucharist, I just love, you know, of course he was a deacon in the church. Um, mm -hmm. But I know just some examples, like he took the greatest care of the linens for the mass, right? right? And for the, right. the altar linens and that kind of thing. And then also whenever, of course, he would walk everywhere, right? Walked all the way to the Holy Land and everything. Uh, but when, when he would walk and he would see uh, a church in the distance, he would say those words that we say at the Stations of the Cross, we adore you, O Christ, and we praise you. And he would just like kneel down right wherever he was and uh, just say that prayer. And uh, so I, I think it's just so great yeah, to have that love of the poor and love of Jesus and the poor, but also Jesus in the Eucharist. Mm -hmm. uh, it's such a blessing from St. Francis that we could just follow in. Yeah, mm -hmm. so. Absolutely. Wow. That's beautiful. Thank you, Father. <laughs> you guys are doing great stuff out there. Oh, man. <laughs> The Holy Spirit, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Sister, real quick, how many uh, sisters are in your order? Mm -hmm. um, we have eight sisters and a brother in addition to Bishop Bob. So there's 10 of us. Nice. Wow. How many wow. dogs do you have? <laughs> we have three German shepherds. Wow. <laughs> nice. Yeah, well, we have two, two, you know, we have the convent and the, and the rectory. Um, and then one of the oldest shepherd, you know, we thought she was going to die, but she's like holding on forever. Mm. So we got a puppy last year. So two dogs are here. And then the middle dog, uh, Gabby is in the rectory, but they are, 
they're amazing dogs they have so much energy yeah it's <laughs> <laughs> awesome it's a lot oh, of fun nice. yeah if you come you'll definitely get to meet them nice nice so I, I, I learned that you went to Loyola, Chicago. So I wanted to know, do you know uh, Sister Jean? I, I do know Sister Jean. I wouldn't say we're BFFs, um, <laughs> but I've had dinner with her before. This is where the podcast cut out for just a little bit. Here is Sister Alicia continuing the story about Sister Jean. In the building. She and the other sisters taught school out of the garage. They'd have to have two sessions a day to teach all the children because they couldn't fit. And then after school, they would cook food for the homeless people and go to bed. Oh, wow. So, you know, like listening to the stories of, I mean, we'd call them quote unquote, the old timers, like back in the day, people made great sacrifices for Christ and for his people. And I'm not saying that we should run ourselves into the ground. I think we're experiencing, especially Father Jacob, among young priests, a lot of burnout, among priests in general, a lot of burnout. So it's not to run ourselves into the ground or to try to do what only Jesus did, save us, right? Um, but we do need to examine our hearts and say, am I being generous with my time, you know, with the Lord and with others? Um, and for those of us already in our vocations that have made that commitment, it's a good examine to make. Am I being generous with God's people in this vocation or am I holding back part of my heart? And if so, why? Um, so Sister Jean to me is a real role model, well into her hundreds, of still wanting to be present, but in those early years, she, she's done it her whole life, her whole life. Wow, yeah, it's beautiful. It's awesome. We only see her on, uh, on the basketball TV, but... <laughs> <Right. laughs> and she knows more about basketball than most people. <laughs> I'm sure. She's an incredible lady. Yeah. Um, I guess the other thing I wanted to say was, uh, for those people listening that don't know, um, you actually won Chopped, which is super awesome. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and me and my mom were actually watching the highlights from the episode, and we saw that you actually accidentally cut your finger while you were um, while you were cooking, and yet you continue because uh, wasn't there a rule that you had to like stop totally once you. Um, so you're not supposed to continue with uh, whatever the injured hand is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because I I noticed that you like you immediately put your hand up. The medic came over and um, like started to to aid you, and you were cooking with one hand. <laughs> and I yeah. was like, oh my gosh, that's so awesome. Um, and you didn't even seem phased at all. I you kept such a like a cool head, uh, despite you being on like this giant stage. So uh, I guess like. How are you so confident in your cooking skills and being able to uh, keep such a cool head on like this big, this big stage? You're not used to cooking on television and now you're on like the biggest show on the Food Network and you're just able to keep such a cool head. Yeah, that's a great question, Michael. Honestly, um, I believe that it all does really go back to our Lord in the Eucharist. Um, so I got up really early. I think I got up at four that morning and I made my holy hour before I went to compete. Um, and I was very confident that Jesus had brought me there for a reason. Um, I mean, who does that, right? Like who competes on, on these kinds of shows? Um, and so I remember very clearly, uh, I had a lot of like, you know, doubts and worries as I was, I was kind of moving towards this moment. Um, but that when I got to the set and I crossed over, you know, the threshold of the set, that I had this utter confidence. Uh, I was just full of joy and peace. And I knew in that moment that I was going to win and it was going to be an incredible day. And so I 
pursued the day with that disposition. Like, I'm going to win. This is great. I'm doing this for Jesus and for the poor. And nothing is going to impede what I know in my heart is true. So when I cut my finger, all I could think of was someone had told me, whatever you do, don't cut your finger. I'm like, well, whatever that happened. So I just put my hand up and kept chopping. I'm like, I'm not, you know what I mean? Go big or go home, okay? (laughs) (laughs) That's right. That's great. Awesome. Sister, I kind of have a follow-up question to that. I think when people first, we know a lot of people this year on our ministry team, they're really diving into their faith for the first time. And it's easy to think, oh, the Lord, like, just wants me to pray all the time. And, like, I'm all in, and that's what it means to be all in. But you, like, with your, as a chef, like, that's you using your talents uh, that the Lord has given you to actually do ministry. Can you give a piece of advice for people? Like, how can we use our talents to evangelize the world and to live on mission? Right. Well, I mean... Let's just go right back to that parable that our Lord tells of the talents, right? The person who doesn't lose their talents doesn't end up with a good end of the stick at the end of that parable. So we have to use our talents, right? But we have to be humble. And I think that that's where a lot of people, when they're very young in the spiritual life, they struggle to understand what true humility is. You know, think humility is like, oh, I'm bad. Oh, let me not do this because I don't want to draw attention to myself. Um, But over time, we grow in confidence in our identity in Christ, right? And so it's more so, I believe, Johnny, about uh, stabilizing or, or growing confident in our identity. And then from that, we're more free to use the gifts and talents God has given us. So I think that that's really important. But yeah, like, I mean, just objectively, college students are not supposed to pray all day. You've got classes to go to, you right. need to eat, you need to exercise, you need to sleep, which I know that's a big issue. Um, <laughs> you know, so I mean, that's a lifelong struggle, right? Um, so are we doing what God wants us to do? Or are we like getting distracted by what we think is holiness? That's something I've noticed in some women that I've worked with in spiritual direction is that we can even have this false image of holiness, not just a false image of ourselves, you know? And so I think someone like Father Jacob is so critical to have around because he can help you guys to understand and to grow in that kind of freedom of Christ because holiness is not what we think it is. It just isn't. Um, And we have to let the Lord kind of like break those idols for us. Um, And even the idols and the masks that we put on our own selves to see our true self and to allow ourselves to be transformed slowly it's a lifelong journey in christ but the the more we cooperate with that transformation the freer we become to use our true gifts and talents it it goes in tandem it's not one or the other so you have to do both unfortunately (laughs) conversion (laughs) growth and holiness and using our gifts and talents but you don't have to be like a perfect product to serve our lord you know some people think oh i've got to do this healing and that healing I've heard from a couple of friends that we're on college campuses that like healing is the big thing right now. And like, I'm totally down with healing, um, but don't make it into the fourth person of the Trinity either. Okay? Right, right, right. Nice. <laughs> so true. That. So true. That's great. Wow, and Jacob great. knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. We're all just imperfect trying to, the Lord's using us, right? Is uh, his imperfect totally, instruments, which is just totally. so great. So great. All the time. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, sister, what's one thing, uh, we're kind of wrapping up here, that that maybe you want to leave uh, with our, our listeners or one thing you might be excited about uh, in your congregation happening soon? 
Sure. Thank you so much. Um, I just want to say thank you very much for inviting me to participate uh, in your podcast. And thank you for your desire to serve Christ and his church. I think that that's just the most important thing right now is let's get all in and all on board with Jesus and his mission. It's his work, not our work. So we don't have to take on the burden of the church or the world. That's not what he wants us to do, but rather to pick up the little cross that he's offering us and follow him every day. Really simple. And it's the same thing for me as it is for you, because no matter what our state of life, we're all disciples of Christ. So we're sharing in his mission in a little and unique way that he invites us to right here, right now. Life doesn't start when you get married, when you become a priest, when you become a sister. Life starts at the moment of conception. So it's, it's already happening. Um, I think sometimes when people think, oh, I have to wait for that, for this. And it's like, no, it's, it's right now. <laughs> we could die tonight, right? If I was to die tonight, how would I live today? And that's how we should live every day. And it's hard to think that way, um, but it's it's the way it's the way to be because that's the path to freedom. So, you guys are awesome. I'm praying for you and excited, um, excited if not now, then in the next life to see you and to discover all the amazing things God has done through you and through all your friends that are listening to this podcast because that's what it's about. Like we are called to be great saints not mediocre saints, great saints. And that's, that's it. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much, sister. Thanks for the encouragement. And thanks especially too for you and your powerful witness, you and all the sisters there. And I hope we could all make a visit sometime or send some students up there and just participate, but especially in Indianapolis in 2024, we're just stoked for that. (laughs) Uh, Our big things this year are Our Lady, the sacraments and community. So we're just been trying to have a uh, big focus on Jesus and Eucharist and all the sacraments. But uh, yeah, so th- thanks so much for your witness. Know of our prayers too. And would you be willing to close us out with a prayer, sister? Sure. All right. <clears throat> In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for this time together. We thank you so much for Father Jacob and all the students at Miami and all of the ways that they are allowing themselves to shine your light on that campus. And we ask that you would Bless them, protect them, provide for all of their needs as you already are. We thank you especially for giving us your son, Jesus, who is always present to us in this life in a most powerful way in the Eucharist. Help us to ever grow more deeply in our gratitude and love for you through Christ and allow ourselves to be your temples, the temples of your Holy Spirit, that your light would continue to shine through us into the world. And we make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 The Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, thank you so much, sister. God bless you. God bless you. Bye-bye. Take care. Thanks.